Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The beginning of the calendar year is what someone in my social media feed called a hard shift. It's a bit cruel to go from just putting the Christmas decorations away and being surrounded by trees and tinsel to being pushed to make New Year's resolutions on all kinds of things. The pressure comes often when the days are shortest and we might be at our most depleted. Now, I'm not usually one to set New Year's resolutions, but this year I did commit to something sort of like a resolution. I decided with a friend to commit to going to an art museum once a month to see new and beautiful things. So amidst this hard shift in the calendar year, what I appreciate most about our church liturgical year is that just as we encounter this hard shift, our church focuses on the baptism of our Lord. And it is in this yearly celebration where divine love meets us on the banks of the Jordan River. It is on this day that we remember the heavens opened and Christ is revealed to us with a word of affirmation. It is a good time of year for us to reflect on our own baptisms and our baptismal identities. During Advent, Bill preached on the text just before the one I am about to read. He said, we have to get past John the Baptist to get on our way to the happy stable at Bethlehem. So today, here we are encountering John the Baptist again. I looked it up and it seems that it's about a 13 hour walk from Jerusalem to the Jordan River. And John's preaching style was gruff to say the least. He said to those gathered, you are a brood of vipers, repent. But people kept showing up anyway. They kept coming to the wilderness, searching for something, maybe a new way of life, a break from Roman tyranny, the Messiah they had been waiting centuries for. And then one day, Jesus shows up. Hear now these words from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, just as he came up from water, the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. The author of Matthew's gospel wants to be sure that we readers know that Jesus is the Messiah, the beloved son of God, the one true king who will mediate between heaven and earth. Matthew doesn't tell us much about Jesus's childhood and young life. He's born, escapes to Egypt with his family, and shows up a few decades later to be baptized. And the voice of God declares, this is my beloved son. 
It's fitting that it's at the Jordan River. Waters and water and rivers are sacred throughout the world and throughout the world's religions. Many of you have been to the Jordan River, which is sacred to both Jews and Christians. By the way, the Jordan River is listed second on Condé Nast's eight most sacred rivers list. It joins the Ganges, which is sacred to Hindus, the Columbia, which is sacred to multiple indigenous nations in the Pacific Northwest, the Wanganui in New Zealand, which is sacred to the Maori. The Wanganui is so sacred, in fact, that it became the first river to be granted full human legal rights. And now there are a handful of others that also have that designation. Water is both ordinary and essential, common and miraculous. Toba Spritzer reminds us in her new book, God is Here, that water is one of the most prevalent metaphors for God in the Hebrew Bible. Since creation, God is over the waters, of the waters, and active in and through the waters. She also notes that there are many beautiful names for God, water names for God in the Hebrew Bible, including, I love these, well of liberation, font of living waters, river of bliss, and river of God. She likens God's power to the flow of a river. It's persuasive, inviting, not coercive. It's power that cajoles, instructs, challenges us, and invites us into the flow of God's righteousness. Now you just witnessed Kenilworth Union Church following Jesus's commission to baptize children here at Kenilworth Union Church, and we're delighted to welcome Marin on this auspicious day. We heard that God frees us from sin and death in baptism, unites us in Christ's resurrection, and we are made members of Christ's holy church, called to this ministry of love, justice, and peace. And we, the congregation, pledge to support Marin and all those we baptize with our love and care that they might be nurtured as disciples of Jesus Christ their whole life through. And all of this is marked with an ordinary sign of God's extraordinary grace, water. And so this is why when our youth groups go on mission trips, they often stop at the beach to remember their own baptisms and to once again be reminded that God flows, God's grace flows in and through their lives and in every corner of the world. This is why when people in affirming and inclusive churches claim a name and gender, gender identity that is different from the one assigned to them at birth, we return to the font with them to offer a blessing because it is God who knitted them together. God knows their innermost being. God calls them and us beloved. And this is why we sing deep and wide over and over again in children's chapel. I think Wendell Berry said it most beautifully, holy love flows through earthly forms and folds. It is persistent, persuasive grace that sustains our baptismal identities as beloved children of God, called to new life in the divine flow, becoming a part of God's living, liberating, and life-sustaining world. On our best days, we behave as though we know the truth about who we are, beloved. Other days, the never-ending hustle leads us to 
what has been called three wrong and harmful conclusions about who we are. Theologian Henry Nouwen names them, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people think and say about me. So every new year, we're faced with the same pressure to make a resolution. So we pledge to save more, to achieve that school award or work award, to read more books, to get more followers, to organize our messy homes and lives. And all of these things can be good and helpful, right? But they are not who we are. We are more than the schools we went to, more than the teams we cheer for, even at tomorrow night's NCAA championship. We are more than the job title we hold, more than our GPA, and we are more than our bank account balance. Thanks be to God for that. Who are we? I believe those of us who gather here to worship are here because we are trying our best to be followers of Jesus, seeking to do justice, to love kindness, and swim humbly in the river of God. We don't have it all figured out yet. Maybe not all of us are baptized, but here we are, showing up, looking for God. So I mentioned to Henry Nouwen, I've read a few of his books, and I haven't read all 42, but it seems that if I did, each one would talk about belovedness. It's his focus. Because for Nouwen, Jesus' baptism is the decisive moment of his life, which shows him and us who he really is. It grounds his ministry. In the Gospel according to Matthew, the Spirit leads Jesus directly from baptism out into the wilderness where his identity is tested. The tempter says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. But Jesus refuses. Jesus doesn't need to do something to prove who he is or what he can do. So Jesus' baptism is the beginning of his ministry. Belovedness is before and throughout his life and work. And so celebrating baptism of the Lord Sunday is a chance to reorient ourselves to our identity of belonging and belovedness that is the beginning of the unique word work that God calls each of us to. And it is that belovedness that enables us to celebrate the belovedness of other. Nouwen says it moves us from solitude to community to ministry out in the world. Because the more you know that you are loved, the more you will see how deeply your siblings in the human family are loved. The more you love others without conditions, the more you realize you are loved without condition by God. Perhaps you saw the story of Isabella Kulak this week. When she was 10, this member of the Koti First Nation Saskatchewan was shamed for wearing her ribbon skirt to a formal event at school. Ribbon skirt artist Felicia Huff says that ribbon skirts for indigenous people are like armor. It's like a tool that when you wear the skirt, it's a safe place. It's your own space. It's a part of who you are. And the ribbons of the skirt symbolize the connectedness and circular nature of life. And so this week, to right that wrong that happened a couple of years ago, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that January 4th would be National Ribbon Skirt Day, 
a day to learn about and celebrate indigenous cultures, traditions, history, and contributions. It's a step toward advancing reconciliation as a society. Now, centuries of harm can't be undone with one statement or one day of the year, but perhaps it can be a window through which we see the beauty of diversity. So I mentioned that I made a New Year's resolution, res, resolution of sorts to visit more art museums. So far, so good, day eight. Uh, I went to the Art Institute on Monday and I saw the David Hockney exhibit, which I believe closes tomorrow. Now, he created dozens of digital paintings of Normandy in spring in 2020, just as the world was starting to shut down. And he noted that even as the world stood still, and the people of the world stood still, spring life was still flowing forth and emerging. And that resonated with me because when the world shut down, like David Hockney and many of you, I went outside and I walked the familiar trail from my house to Middle Fork, Savannah, probably 50 times where, until I was able to return to this building. And I witnessed the emergence of spring native plants, shooting stars and wild onion trillium and may apples and jack in the pulpits. I heard the sandhill cranes overhead and I saw the sandy tracks where the turtles had gone to lay their eggs. And I witnessed once again this native ecosystem where plants' roots dig deep into this almost impenetrable clay soil, creating a way for the water to flow deep, deep into the earth. And when I sat there by the middle fork of the Chicago River and the humans stood still, I was reminded again that God's endless river of grace flows and never stops, never stops moving toward us. Thank goodness the world is no longer shut down, but the outdoors still calls to us, inviting us to stop and notice the thrush song, stream song, holy love that flows through earthly forms and folds. So there, my friends, may the grace living here as we live move our minds to hold things as they change. Thanks be to God. Amen.